Welcome to the CKNW Weekend Morning Show podcast. I'm Sterling Fox, and today, Canadian Taxpayers Federation Director Franco Terrazano is annoyed to see MPs giving themselves yet another pay raise on the day they raise your taxes. Toronto Metropolitan University researcher Sam Andre has new survey numbers on why TikTok has become Canada's least trusted social media platform. Ontario Liberal MP John McKay puts his cards on the table and says China is an existential threat to Canada. And defense lawyer Kyla Lee sorts out the rules on phone use in the car as we hear of confusion surrounding distracted driving month. So let's get started. Here's a quote from an article written very recently in the Post Media newspaper group by our next guest. Quote, in less than a month, members of Parliament will take more money out of your wallet and stuff more into their own. On April 1st, the federal government is increasing carbon and alcohol taxes, while MPs take their fourth pay raise since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. The author of the piece, which is entitled MPs Taking Pay Raise the Same Day They Stiff Taxpayers, is Franco Terrazano, the National Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Franco joins us from Ottawa. Good morning and welcome back, Franco. Hey, thanks for having me on this morning. Well, it's good to have you with us. You've always got a ton of energy and lots of facts <laughs> at your fingertips. So what's the raise? Uh, uh, what, what does a typical MP make? The, just your basic backbench MP. What's their salary these days? Well, they're doing pretty good. Let me tell you, a backbencher, along with collecting dust, is also collecting uh, just over $189,000 a year in annual salary. Wow. Ministers. Yeah, yeah, not bad. Ministers, they're making just shy of about $280,000 a year in annual salary. And Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, well, he's taking home just under $380,000. But apparently they think that's not enough. Apparently they think that they need to take just a little bit more money from their constituents who are struggling to fill their fridge uh, because they're getting their fourth pay raise since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic come April 1. That Pay raise on April 1 will range from an extra $5,100 for your backbencher all the way up to an extra $10,200 for Mr. Trudeau. So now, and, and, and I know it's early, but dazzle us with one more round of numbers, Franco, because you mentioned in your article that this is the fourth pay raise since the beginning of COVID. And I reminded our listeners yesterday, it was just three years ago yesterday, Franco, that the World Health Organization declared the COVID-19 pan- pandemic. So that's three years and four pay raises. So how much have they given themselves over those four pay raises? since pre-pandemic numbers? Well, it's, it's, it's really hard to stomach, right? It's really hard to stomach because remember, during this time, um, I'm sure so many of your listeners struggled with pay cuts of their own, maybe losing their job, mm-hmm. maybe worried about losing their livelihood, maybe losing their small business, losing hours of sleep, worried about losing their small business. And while so many people have struggled through the pandemic, the, the total amount of pay raises after April 1, these four pay raises that they've given themselves, a backbencher, an extra $15,700. An extra $15,700. Mr. Trudeau, our prime minister, well, compared to his pre-pandemic salary, come April 1 of this year, he'll be taking an extra $31,400. Hmm. Isn't that something, right? So while you and yours have struggled 
through the pandemic, who are struggling now with inflation, who are worried about a, a looming recession. The people who are supposed to be our representatives in Ottawa have been padding their pockets with our tax dollars. Pretty amazing stuff, and the numbers are, are startling, aren't they, Franco? Oh, by the way, uh, this all comes because, as you mentioned in your article, uh, while giving themselves more money uh, their, uh, to, to uh, their particular bank accounts, uh, MPs are also through the increasing of carbon taxes among, and alcohol. Those sin taxes are going up again on April 1st, so they're going to dip into your bank account while enhancing their own. Uh, but all of this, of course, according to the, the Prime Minister at least, is supposed to be, well, family are going to be better off with this carbon tax and rebates scheme they've got going on. Franco, you're the taxpayer guy. What do you reckon is going to happen? <laughs> well, look, on that carbon tax and, and rebate spin that Mr. Trudeau wants us to swallow, I mean, if you think that you can raise taxes, then you can skim some off the top to pay for hundreds of new bureaucrats to administer those taxes and somehow make everyone better off with rebates, then I got some Ocean View property in Regina to sell you. (laughs) (laughs) Look, of course you can't do that. And it's not just the CTF. It's not just us taxpayer uh, advocates who are saying that. The government's own independent budget watchdog, the Parliamentary Budget Officer, they're a nonpartisan independent shop that analyzes government policy for Canadians. Well, Well, they say, look, that's magic math. Of course it's magic math. Their numbers show that the carbon tax will cost the average family, even after the rebates, anywhere from an extra 400 bucks this year all the way up to an extra 850 bucks. So get this, on the very same day that Mr. Trudeau is, is going to be increasing his salary by an extra $10,000 a year, the carbon tax is also going up, and it could cost an average family in Canada, uh, you know, close to 850 bucks even after those rebates. Mm. Now, you also go on to point out, and this is an important part of the conversation, Franco, because Canada is the odd man out in this regard, because during the pandemic, and it's been officially now three years, many G7 and G20 countries actually cut taxes. More than half. More than half. So more than half of our industrialized peers, in fact, two-thirds of countries in the OECD have cut taxes uh, to provide relief during the pandemic or to ease the burdens of inflation. Now, one of the big things I know your listeners are dealing with, because I was on the West Coast just a couple weeks ago, and I couldn't believe my eyes when I was driving by a gas station. Mm-hmm. I remember like a dollar eighty or something like that, but even that's like kind of low compared to what it has been. I've heard of over two bucks a liter, which is which is insane to me. Now, while the government has been raising gas taxes here in Canada, there's been about 25 countries that we identified that have been cutting gas taxes. You ready for this, folks? The UK, the United Kingdom announced billions of dollars of gas tax relief. South Korea cut its gas taxes by 30%. You had Germany that cut its gas taxes. The Netherlands cut its gas taxes. Italy, Ireland, uh, Israel, India cut gas taxes. A number of provincial governments cut gas taxes. India, by the way, cut gas taxes specifically to ease the pain of inflation and specifically to ease the pain of inflation for those uh, middle-income and lower-income citizens of theirs because they realize that you know who really feels the pain at the pumps? I mean, we all do. But let's not make a mistake about it. It's the people whose paychecks are already stretched thin who really feel the pain of the higher gas prices and these higher gas taxes 
are making times much more difficult for those people in particular. Yeah, you know, and, and the, the new tax on alcohol, the old sin taxes, tobacco and alcohol, when it, when you're in doubt, just raise those because the ba- only bad people smoke and drink. So they, they deserve to be punished. The only, the only upside, the only silver lining in that particular cloud is the fact that the beer people have found the McKenzie brothers and brought them back <laughs> to complain about a beer tax, which they're really not happy about. And Bob and Doug speak for a lot of us in that regard. Uh, talk to us about the increase on uh, uh, the automatic increase with uh, the sin taxes. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you said automatic, okay? Because one of the most frustrating things about this is that they're not even voting in the House of Commons about the tax increase. Do you hear that, folks? They're not even voting. Now, um, a very important principle of democracy, I truly believe, is no taxation without representation. Mm-hmm. And, a, and a part of that principle is that if, if you're a politician and you want to increase your tax take, increase the government's coffers, then I believe that you have a fundamental duty to your constituents and to all Canadians and to all members in our, in our democracy um, to at least vote on the tax increase, to at least vote on it. But they're not doing a vote on it. They put this in in their 2017 budget that every single year alcohol taxes will increase with inflation. Well, what's going on with inflation? Mm. It's sky high. Yeah. <laughs> so isn't that nice, folks? You have to pay more at the grocery store because of inflation, and then the government is going to use this high inflation to give themselves higher tax revenue without even voting on it in the House of Commons. So when I said it seems like the government isn't even trying these days to look out for taxpayers, this is another reason why why I make that claim. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, the price of gas is around a dollar eighty this week. It was a buck seventy nine on my way home yesterday, and about a buck eighty two coming in this morning. It fluctuates. It'll probably be something different by lunchtime, but it's about a buck eighty in Metro Vancouver this weekend. And you're quite right; it got well over two dollars not so long ago, and that was no fun for anyone. Franco, this is an important article that you've uh, written in uh, the Post Media Papers. I'm going to commend it to our listeners. MP taking pay raise the same day they stiff taxpayers. Google it. It's a great read. The numbers are, as Franco has pointed out, stunning. Franco Terrazano is the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation and a good friend of this show. Thanks for joining us again this weekend, Franco. We'll talk again. Thanks for having me on. New report out just a couple of days ago, uh, fascinating stuff on social media. TikTok, for example, is experiencing the fastest rate of growth among Canadians, but it's also the least trusted social media platform in our country. This is a report from the folks at Toronto Metropolitan University's Leadership Lab. The Director of Policy and Research at the lab is Sam Andre. Mr. Andre joins us from Toronto. Sam, good morning and welcome, sir. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you with us. A very interesting findings, and it's important to point out, Sam. I think right up front that this you did your research, your questions with all of your uh, subjects before uh, governments, uh, uh, at both at provincial and federal levels, initiated any action with respect to banning TikTok from government phones. This survey was conducted before that move was taken. Correct. Yeah, that's right. We did it in October. Uh, so, so yeah, it, it re- doesn't reflect any of those moves. So I imagine that the trust levels 
you know, in TikTok will only have fallen uh, further uh, if we were to do it again. I would think so. If, the, if that would put an exclamation mark behind it uh, in terms of trust for a lot of people. What's the story, though, Sam? Why why so little trust? Is it now uh, the sort of the, the China connection, the ownership being ByteDance, a Chinese company? The government of China can require its companies to provide it with information anytime it wants. Uh, the information is being collected worldwide, including here in Canada. A lot of people are real nervous and have been for quite some time. Obviously, the nervous threshold has a new high. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we've been tracking trust in uh, social media platforms for the last four years. It's been slipping uh, consistently across all platforms, so not just TikTok, Facebook, uh, Twitter. um, But TikTok fell in particular this year now to the lowest place Facebook used to be in last place. Um, And as you say, I think, you know, President Trump was kind of the first to flag the concerns about Chinese Mm -hmm. ownership, tried to force that divestment. Um, So I think that, you know, those concerns around the Chinese ownership are breaking through in the in the public consciousness of Canadians as well, clearly. And did people when you were asking them in your survey, I'm, I'm curious, Sam, as to how you frame your questions when you ask about this stuff. How did you ask people about trust in terms of these platforms? Yeah, the question about trust is specifically how much trust on a scale of one to nine uh, do you have in the following organization mm. to act in the best interest of the public, um, uh, which is a, you know, it's a particular way of framing it. And we, we ask not just about social media, we ask about a bunch of news media, we asked about law blogs, about Tim Hortons, just to get, you know, some base comparators um, and, you know, trust in media overall. Uh, is still quite high. Um, uh, you know, other technology companies like Microsoft or um, or Google have much higher levels. There's something about social media that you know Canadians are particularly think uh, their business model or, as you say, their data storage. It could be a bunch of different things. Um, is you know not to be trusted. So now Twitter has gone through a bit of a few contortions in the past few months, especially since Elon Musk acquired the the platform. Uh, and uh, I, I think there a, a lot of uh, concern is about management or content management and control. And there seems to have been a, a relaxing of those standards at Twitter. Did that get reflected in your survey at all? I think so. Uh, so high trust in Twitter used to be about 20% of Canadians said they had a high degree of trust. That's basically got cut in half down to 10%. Oh, okay. Um, and, and low trust is now uh, uh, up to 40% for, for Twitter. So, um, yeah, a big drop for Twitter trust. I'm sure, you know, as you say, all the um, uh, changes uh, there uh, didn't help. Um, and, in fact, Twitter usage for Canadians was one of the few platforms that was down um, from uh, 2019 levels, now only 38% of Canadians say they're using Twitter, uh, which has fallen slightly. Well, it's interesting, and of course, it makes sense to the extent, Sam, that people are going, well, wait a second, who's in charge here? Look at all these layoffs. My God, has anybody left to, to keep an eye on things? And that may have an impact on their loyalty as well, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think, um, and, you know, it's, we also asked some questions about um, how much Canadians would want intervention in platforms, you know, government regulation, that sort of thing. And I think Twitter's a good example of, as you say, it was a decently run platform for a while. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, really sudden changes uh, like, you know, laying off all the, you know, safety folks that um, people are asking, like, how can 
we create some controls around this so that it's there aren't we're not at the whim of whoever's in charge. Indeed. So now let's talk about Facebook because you said in previous surveys you've been at this for a few years, and in previous surveys the winner and it's a dubious <laughs> honor <laughs> has been has been Facebook in terms of least trusted. Now changing place with TikTok and Twitter above that. So uh, talk to us about the other platforms, YouTube, Facebook, and so on. Sam, please. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, as you say, Facebook for a long time was in last place, I think, um, early on, you know, the Cambridge Analytica scandal Mm. of of Facebook and, you know, accusations that it helped elect Trump or caused Brexit. You know, Facebook trust has been low for a while. Um, It uh, is still low. You know, overall, 42 percent of Canadians say they have low trust um, in in Facebook and only 12 percent say they have high trust in Facebook to act in the best interest of the public. but, but as you say, um, that, that one's been low for a while. It's really Twitter and TikTok that sort of joined it. Um, but, you know, on the flip side, as you say, um, usage of Facebook, of uh, Instagram, which, you know, Facebook owns, of mm-hmm. YouTube, are all still up. People still really like these platforms. Uh, Canadians are, you know, are connecting with friends. And um, it's not to say that people are turning away from all social media. I think our findings reflect they aren't trustworthy of these platforms and they would like, uh, you know, hate speech and and harassment and other things to be addressed on these platforms uh, better. Sam, a final question to you. We're grateful for your time on a Sunday morning. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the, the, you talked about hate speech and, and those sorts of things. There's a lot of controversy right now about the government attempting to regulate the internet through a new bill. Michael Geist has been on the program a few times with us talking about it, as have other critics. Uh, and yet there's a sense, I'm, I'm gathering from your research, that there is a degree of sympathy for some degree of government intervention yeah i have a lot of you know respect for um, michael geist and others who are pointing out the flaws of the, you know the government's attempts at this this is you know not straightforward stuff anytime you're kind of regulating speech or or what you know people can do on the internet i um i'm, I'm not saying that this is easy stuff but we asked for example a question to canadians um would you uh, do you think what do you think is more important, free expression, protecting free expression online, or reducing the amount of uh, hate and harassment online? Seventy percent of Canadians say reducing the amount of hate and harassment is more important to them than protecting free expression. Now, obviously, that's a reductive frame, but just to say, when forced to choose between sort of action and protecting the internet. Um, most Canadians think that the status quo is not working. And so, of course, the devil's in the details about how that's all done. Sure. We asked a bunch of questions about their overall support for policy options. But um, I think Canadians want uh, the government to act in certain spaces in this uh, overall frame. Interesting stuff and terrific survey uh, results as well. Sam, thanks very much for for sharing the results of this interesting survey with us. I'm glad I found you, and I'm looking forward to the opportunity to talk to you again, particularly as this regulate the Internet business goes forward. You're the guy with all the fresh numbers at his fingertips. Uh, We should talk again. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. 
The China crisis continues to swirl around us all as more and more information, global news being a very big part of providing new information along with the Globe and Mail and from um, through all of the confusion, distraction, deflection and fog. Uh, a couple of days ago, a moment of clarity from a member of parliament on the government side of the house. Quote, the government of China is an existential threat to Canada on a multiplicity of levels. We need, as a nation, to come to grips with the desire of the government of China to turn us all into vassal states. This from veteran Toronto MP John McKay, the Liberal Member of Parliament for Scarborough Guildwood. Mr. McKay joins us now from Toronto. John, good morning, sir, and welcome. Well, thank you very much. Pleased to be here. Good to have you with us, uh, John. This is this is an important statement to hear uh, from a, a, a sitting MP on the government side of the House. The government has been doing a, a, a incredible contortions to try and deflect and distract, and you've cut right through all of that and pointed to the, the essence of the argument, which more and more Canadians, now numbering in the millions, are becoming sympathetic to. So give us more. Well, what leads to a statement such as that is my... Uh, as I, I chair the defense committee and and um, and I'm also co-chair the permanent joint board of defense and so I have some privileged access to information at times uh, but it, it's been building in me for a number of years now as we w- uh, watch more and more the intrusions of the Chinese Communist Party into uh, the very fabric of our life mm-hmm. uh, this this time, what, two weeks ago, we were talking about um, balloons, Chinese balloons, one of which has been identified as Chinese. The others have yet to be identified as Chinese. We, at our committee, uh, the issue of boys in the Arctic Ocean w- came up, all of which has been identified as Chinese. Mm-hmm. Since this story broke, uh, uh, all of the governments uh, at both the federal and provincial level have, have uh, told us all to get rid of our WeChat app. Uh, the Winnipeg, um, the Winnipeg lab investigation continues on. The Confucius Institutes are uh, are being wound up, and um, and then you have Chinese police stations, yeah. uh, which is within uh, within a couple of kilometers of my own home. Um, you know, after a while, you say um, uh, there's really an issue here, folks, and um, and I don't I don't think we can just simply uh, say. Um, uh, that it's it's merely election meddling. It is far more extensive than that, and um, and we need to come to grips with it. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking at another quote attributed to you, at least in the Toronto Sun, John, talking about uh, the fact that it's more pervasive than just the meddling with the election. And again, that's meddling at the federal, provincial, and indeed municipal level. This is multiple meddling in the in the electoral process. But you go on also to talk about it's at the universities, at the, the police stations, the Confucius Institutes, and in the exploitation of resources. A- explain that last one, John. Give us a little shine, a little light on. That. Well, the um, I think the latest one was a mine up in the Arctic, um, and uh, and it had uh, sensitive um, uh, or I should say rare earth met, uh, minerals uh, that um, was largely flying under the radar because it didn't hit our threshold of of concern, and um, and it finally it did, and the, that that uh, transfer was uh, stopped, and the consequence of that is that. Um, we are starting to come to grips with the notion that 
China, uh, the government of China is everywhere at all places at all times mm-hmm. looking for uh, the resources of our nation to be uh, directed back to the benefit of Beijing. And um, and it's all part of, if you will, the larger uh, Belt and Road Initiative. Um, all roads lead to Beijing um, and the Belt. Frankly, it's for your neck so that um, you are a captive state of the Beijing government. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been around long enough, John, to remember when Guildwood Village was a new subdivision, and I know Toronto pretty well. Uh, so not too far away from your riding is Don Valley North, and uh, we've had a, a resignation at the provincial level. Mr. Ford's uh, uh, member MPP there, Vincent Kay, uh, stepped down. The Liberal MP, your colleague Han Dong, uh, remains in caucus. Uh, uh, allegations unproven, but nonetheless... Uh, causing one MPP to step aside and the other at the federal level remaining in caucus. What's, and I can't, uh, you can't share caucus secrets, that's obvious, but what's the buzz in the party about all of this in terms of uh, uh, optics, if nothing else? Well, uh, we all live in challenging uh, optics environments, and um, and I, I would prefer to deal with evidence as opposed to rumor, gossip, and hearsay. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, if I'm going to, you know, say that uh, the uh, the concerns that I've outlined above are based on some considerable evidence, then I shouldn't uh, talk out of the other side of my mouth and, and say, well, uh, issues on Don Valley North are are based on rumor, gossip, and hearsay. So, I you know I don't I don't want to dodge the question, but on the other hand, I want to be have some integrity in terms of what I say to you. All right, fair enough. But then all of that could be shone uh, a bright light shone upon it simply by the process of some kind of public inquiry, some kind of very public inquiry that uh, seems to be there seems to be a groundswell again of sympathy for the notion of okay, let's get let's turn the lights on and find out what's going on and stop it. So what about a public inquiry? Again, from the inside looking out, John. Well, um, on the face of it, I'd, have, I'd be sympathetic to, to that idea. I would like to, however, ex- first of all, exhaust the ideas that have been put forward, namely the Ensicop hearing, which I dare say has had um, some considerable investigations into the issues in 2019 and 2021. Um, these are not new issues. Um, and I would like, I'd like to uh, exhaust that first, um, and, um, and then we can talk about whether uh, there is a larger issue here laid out in public. Well, a government of China is an existential threat to Canada is a pretty serious, pretty straight-up, cards-on-the-table kind of statement uh, for which uh, we are grateful to hear from a Liberal MP. Uh, what, do you, what do you sense, uh, final question to you, because I know you're busy, but what do you sense in terms of sympathy for your remarks from your parliamentary colleagues? Um, I would say a lot of sympathy from my parliamentary co- uh, colleagues, but even more so from the public. Um, in some respects, my uh, my simple statement kind of belled the cat, and um, and I um, uh, I think that um, there's an awareness that's uh, developing that maybe uh, hasn't been there, uh, or we we willed it away. We kind of hope it goes away because the nature of the threat is unlike anything that Canada has ever faced before. Mm-hmm. 
we know how to, I mean, within certain limits, we know how to handle the Russians. Within, we know how to handle the Iranians, the North Koreans, and the other bad guys. Um, but um, China is in a league by itself, mm-hmm. as um, uh, and has penetrated our society at its own many, many different levels. Uh, that it creates huge difficulties for us all, not the least of which is the diaspora communities. And I say communities, plural, right. because in the uh, Chinese community, there's a vast uh, difference of opinion and, and vulnerabilities, uh, which, um, which is going to be very difficult for us to handle um, without um, turning, um, turning a, a whole community into a, a community. So I'm, uh, uh, as I say, this is enormously difficult. Um, and I would like to see us all um, get get um, uh, develop an awareness that allows us to seek a path out of this difficulty. Indeed. John McKay, thanks so much for being with us this weekend, sir. We do appreciate your time. And uh, I frankly tip my hat to your courageous remarks. And from from my perspective, 3,000 miles away, I get it. But nonetheless, to see a Liberal MP say it like it is in a time when, well, the hierarchy seems to be trying to confuse us with what, 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 nothing to see here. Good good on you, John. Thanks. Thank you, Sterling. Take care. Have a good day. March, by the way, is Distracted Driving Month. And drivers are, well, a little confused about the rules and didn't get a lot of help from ICBC, who put out a video a a week or so ago to talk about the rules around distracted driving. Of course, it's about using your phone. Operation Hang Up is going on with some police departments, actually lots of police departments, out on the streets looking for people texting and using their phones when they're behind the wheel and all the rest of it. But drivers are confused about the rules and here to help sort a few things out at least. Criminal defense lawyer Kyla Lee is back with us from Acumen Law. Kyla, good morning. Welcome back. Good morning, Sterling. Nice to talk to you. Well, it's good to have you with us. Did you see the video that ICBC released a week or so ago to help us through Distracted Driving Month? Oh, I did see the video. And then I saw the second video that they had to create when uh, they got the law wrong in the first video. Well, let's talk about what they got wrong. That's because, again, there's a lot of confusion. You're a defense lawyer. You you defend people who've been, uh, well, ticketed, at least for distracted driving. So what what did what did ICBC get wrong, for example? In the first video, ICBC suggested that it is illegal to have your phone sitting loose in your car, like loose in the cup holder or loose on the passenger seat beside you. And that is not actually the case. In BC, the BC Supreme Court has ruled that you are perfectly allowed to have your phone loose in the vehicle so long as you're not touching it at the same time. Ah, okay. So uh, that was anything other, any other glaring, obvious stuff like that? No, that was the the biggest one. The big one, one, yeah. Um, Yeah, they tried to suggest that the video um, was meant to encompass situations where the phone is in use. Mm -hmm. But even then, depending on what you're using the phone to do, you can still have it loose in the vehicle. There's a distinction in the law between actively using the phone, the type of use that distracts you from the road, like talking um, or touching the phone, texting, that type of thing, which is prohibited even if the phone is loose. And passive use, like having your phone give you your um, music or podcast or GPS directions through the speakers of the vehicle, that type of passive use is not prohibited by the legislation. 
Okay, so it's all about touching the phone then. So, for example, if you have Bluetooth and you've got your car wired to take phone calls while you're driving, so it's hands-free and it's all that right stuff, so you, you get a call, you're allowed to touch the screen and go, hello, that's okay. But, but any other touching of the screen is considered illegal, correct? Yes, and this is part of the really confusing aspect of the law, because although although the phone can be loose for the purposes of um, using your podcast or music features, it can't be loose if you're talking. You're allowed to touch the phone one time to end, accept, or decline a call, sure. but you're not allowed to touch the phone one time for the purposes of shuffling a song or skipping to the next podcast. Now, uh, some some have gone to the extreme of saying, look, distracted driving could be something as simple as changing radio stations, which we never encourage here at CKNW, by the way. But is is that true? Uh, Yes and no. It's not something that's prohibited under the electronic device regulations um, in the BC Motor Vehicle Act. But there have been court cases long before we had distracted driving laws that have found people guilty of driving without due care and attention or even doing something as simple as looking down and changing the radio station and taking their eyes off the road briefly. Interesting. So now in terms of actually talking on the phone while you're driving, hands-free, the Bluetooth thing wired in is the only acceptable version, correct? Uh, You can have uh, either your car's built-in Bluetooth, you can have an external Bluetooth like the ones that might mount on your um, visor, or you can have wearable technology like an earpiece uh, or earbuds. But if you're wearing anything in your ears, it can only be worn in one ear. So Mm -hmm. you can't have two earbuds in, you can't have a full over-the-head headphone set. Okay, so now uh, the Operation Hang-Up that's going on, various police departments right across the province, it's a provincial program, are out there on the streets looking for people who are using their phones illegally. And frankly, Carla, there's not, not a lot of problem finding people. I see if you're in traffic uh, and, and you're a commuter, you see it all the time. It's a little bit like shooting fish in a barrel. And the police make it you know, somewhat easier for themselves because they pick the situations in which they're most likely to catch the most people. So they'll do things like wait at red lights mm-hmm. and walk up and down lines of stopped cars looking for the people that can't resist the temptation to pick up their phone and quickly check their text messages. So if, if that, and again, I'm, I'm looking at that Supreme Court ruling, a BC Supreme Court ruling you referenced a few minutes ago in terms of where the phone is allowed to be because there have been people ticketed, for example, for having the phone just on the seat beside them. Uh, and that's, that's not a ticketable offense, as I understand your explanation of the Supreme Court ruling. It is not. And despite the fact that the Supreme Court ruled on this in 2019, um, police officers still haven't really figured this out. And there are many officers who will still issue tickets for it um, and tell people that it's not lawful. I mean, there was even an article published yesterday with Delta Police making this statement, which, again, is not legally accurate. Interesting stuff. Now, those drivers who have a restricted license, the N or the L on the on the, the rear of the car, uh, there are limitations on what they can do while they're driving, deliberately, of course. What about phone restrictions for N and L drivers? Yes, there's only one permissible circumstance in which you can use your phone as an N or L driver, and that's in the case of an emergency call, so calling a 911 Um, police, fire, or ambulance. You can't use it to play your music. You can't use it for GPS. You can't use it uh, to talk to your mom and let her know that you're going to be late to meet your curfew. 
not allowed. Uh, so the only the only the only possible way to do that, if you need to make the call, is pull over, stop the vehicle, put it in park, and make the call. Yes, and. Put in park doesn't mean put in park in a traveled portion of the roadway. It has to be lawfully parked off the portion of the roadway that's used for the passage of vehicles. Hmm. Let's talk about consequences. If you are indeed found to be, uh, well, you're uh, alleged to be in violation of distracted driving regulations, what are the consequences, Kyla? Uh, They're severe. It's a $368 fine, four penalty points. And it's considered a high-risk offense. So if you have an L or an N license, one distracted driving ticket means you'll get your license revoked. And if you have a Class 5 or better license, two distracted driving tickets, and you're going to face a driving prohibition. Interesting stuff. Do uh, are there uh, is are repeat offenders a fairly common thing uh, with respect to tr- distracted driving infractions? Unfortunately, yes, we do see people get, you know, several distracted driving tickets, but I don't think that it's out of, in most cases, people's genuine intention to disregard the law. When I talk to people, they're legitimately confused because of how poorly the drafted the law is and because of the inconsistent messaging. Um, They're legitimately confused about what they can and can't do. And so people end up getting tickets because the law is not clear enough and government and police are not making it clear enough to the public. So what needs to happen, uh, defense attorney? Uh, You know the law inside and out. How does what suggest an improvement in the in the actual law? language of the law that would reduce the confusion that exists to this minute. I mean, it would be great to see the law rewritten. Um, It's woefully out of date with the way that technology exists both in vehicles and in our phones. So, you know, the government should repeal the law, rewrite it, and make it very clear. A list that specifically says what you are allowed to do with your phone and says that any other actions are prohibited. And then you know, I can do these things and I can't do anything else. Well, uh, the confusion, as you mentioned already, extends to police officers. Some of them are issuing tickets for things that, frankly, they shouldn't have been. Yes, and this is part of the problem when the law is so poorly written. You have police officers who aren't getting legal advice in interpreting the law. Um, so they're doing the best to figure it out from their own read of the legislation and mm-hmm. the regulations. You have ICBC and Road Safety BC putting out suggestions or messaging about what you can and can't do that is broader than what the law actually prohibits, which then misinforms police officers in attempting to understand the law and leads to tickets that should never have been issued in the first place. Interesting stuff. Well, the confusion persists. It's obvious, but I hope that someone, some drivers, at least listening to us this morning, Kyla, have a clearer understanding of what is and isn't permissible. Thanks for taking a few moments out of your Sunday morning to do this with us. Always appreciated. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or listen to us live six to nine weekend mornings. I'm Sterling Fox. Have a great week.